0: teacher, David, our elder, is going to come and preach uh, this morning. And I think it's on is it on Jesus. We're going to make much of Jesus over the next little while. We've just felt there's a season going to come where we're going to do a 21 days of prayer in the next in the new year. And then we're going to look at some stuff to do with the health of our soul. And then we're going to go into a series on Jesus. Uh, just who is Jesus? How do we live, love and look like him? Uh, and so David's going to kind of start off this week. And then next week, we've got Ian Hesketh preaching for us. Uh, and we're going to start a Christmas series called Down to Earth. Um, and so we're just going to look at Jesus a lot over these next few weeks. So please give a warm welcome to David as he comes and brings the message this morning.
1: Thanks, John. It's just said it's all a fog this morning. It may continue for a while, I think. Especially when he said that uh, any prayers, just shout them out. So give me a bit of space, you know. Okay. Is this fully on? Yeah. Well, last week, um, Pastor John ended a preaching series which, week by week, posed as listeners uh, quite a few challenges, I think, as he unpacked what were for each of us some fairly hard-hitting Practical teachings taken from the epistle of James, this half-brother of Jesus, who also happened to challenge his Jewish brothers and sisters in their faith too, when he first wrote this same letter to them back around 45 AD. The crux of the matter, both for believers back then and I think for us here now, as far as I see it, uh, results in the same practical application, which always, bottom line, involves trusting Jesus and his finished work on the cross. It's realizing that on our own we can't help ourselves, but he can, that we can live right with God and his way rather than ours. And the, the daily challenge as Pastor John said, is keeping close to Jesus, to hear consistently, to act constantly or instantly, and love constantly. To apply this same Jesus into the living of our daily lives. Anyway, whilst keeping all these things in mind, what I want to do today is to emphasize the importance which God too places on our walk with Him. So this morning we're going to look more closely at a name. John's already given us the name, which is also a theme. It's not just a name, it's a theme throughout the whole of Scripture. Some of you may remember that in August uh, we started the first teaching of what back then we'd prob- we would said would probably become an occasional as-and-when uh, series, as-and-when John doesn't want to preach. (laughs) And we gave it the title of Ancient Words of God. And and then we added a subtitle of The Voice of God in The Words of God. And the idea for this whole series came about after I happened across a quote. It was from a a research professor of Jewish and Christian studies. Uh, He was working at the Hebrew University of uh, Birmingham, a guy called uh, Dr. Eli, or Eli, isn't it really? Well, if you're Brummie, it's Eli, Eli and Enoch, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but a guy called Dr. Eli Lee and eisenberg Let's take a look on the screen, if we can get that up now. There we have it. And this guy said, to read the Bible always and only in translation mm-hmm. is like... which our English version is the translation, obviously, is like listening to Bach, always and only on harmonica. You will get the tune, but you'll miss pretty well everything else. So that started me digging into a few of these original Bible texts, these ancient uh, words of Scripture, so that we might learn to look at the meaning not only of the words of God, but at the powerful voice of God better in our daily time with him. And which sometimes can get hidden behind an English Bible translation because it's through some of these original Hebrew words full of meaning that God has communicated important things and themes for thousands of years. Okay, so let me start by asking you a question this morning. There's no prizes for the answer. I've got a few sweets for Ruben when Kara's not looking, but apart from that. uh, But I'm wondering who would be able to tell me the meaning of a word which just happens to be the title of today's message, and that word is Yeshua. Any takers? Nobody. Brilliant. Who said that? Hey, point up. Point. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, most of us, or some of us, recognise Yeshua as the uh, really as the authentic pronunciation in one way of Jesus. Can we get that up on screen next? Um, did you know this? This is now going to be the title, obviously Yeshua. But before that name, or the name of Jesus, became the most famous name in history, was already an ancient word, way before that, revealing, as this lady said, the unique salvation of our Lord God. And today as we delve into the history of this word, we'll see how it reveals a God who saves, who will save, who is salvation, and who promises a final salvation. So this morning as we start to look into a few of these ancient scriptures we'll find that the word Yeshua isn't important to us simply because it was the Hebrew name of Jesus. That in one sense doesn't matter but because way before that as a verb it's a word that has always flowed beginning to end as a continuous theme throughout the whole of scripture. Why is that? Because as we said, this word in itself is a Hebrew word which means salvation or deliverance. Some of you might remember, um, if you were here at the time, our foreshadow series, where we looked at the Bible as one epic story, a trilogy, depicting the God who was, who is, and is to come. And it was from within this one seamless story that God connected Uh, Jewish and Christian stories together into one, like a confluence, a coming together of two rivers to make one new man, as the Bible says. And it continued throughout the whole of the story with the use of this same word Yeshua to tell us that there's a certain type of salvation which the Bible tells us isn't for God but has always been from God to us. Because God from the very beginning was using this word to make the point that he is a God that saves, a God who intervenes in people's lives and helps them. So right away, as you'd expect, if this is going to be a theme, it starts in the very first book of of the Bible, Genesis, the book of beginnings. So let's look at Genesis chapter 49 and verse 18. The scenario here is that Jacob is getting ready to die. And he's blessing his kids. He's dividing up the inheritance, etc. And in the middle of the scene, on his deathbed, he whispers this quiet and simple prayer. He says, I look for your deliverance, Lord. But the word isn't deliverance. In Hebrew, it would read, I look for your Yeshua, Lord for God's salvation, for your saving God. What kind of saving is that? It's a saving from final death. He knows that death's ahead of him. He's on his deathbed. He's hoping that his final breath isn't his last breath, that one day he'll breathe life again. He doesn't know what's next, but he's counting on being saved from final death from the God who saves. And we see this word, Yeshua, Uh, showing up not only in the book of Genesis, but it's in all the epic stories throughout the Bible. For example, after Passover, in the Exodus from Egypt in the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Scriptures, as some like to call it, where the pursuing Egyptians are trapping, they've already trapped the Hebrews against the Red Sea. And Moses uses this same word. Let's get the next scripture up, Exodus 14 and verse 13. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance. But it's not deliverance. The word is Yeshua. You will see the Yeshua, the Lord will bring you today, the salvation the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. He's saying, not only does God bring deliverance and salvation from final death, but he intervenes in our life and he helps us to deal with our own physical suffering, our struggles, our emotional suffering. He cares about people in bondage. And when we're carrying certain, dragging certain chains along in our lives, he wants to bring us towards freedom of every kind. King David, he prayed the same word, Yeshua. Sure? Let's get that one up. Psalm 27 verse 1, where David says, the Lord is my light and my Yeshua, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David, here speaking the very name of God. Did he know that? Possibly not. But he did know that there is a God who saves and that the word Yeshua means to save. Psalm 18 next, verse 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my Yeshua, my stronghold. He says that the Lord provides my safety. We need to understand, this is important, we need to understand how unique this word was for a group of people to be saying that there's a type of salvation that God gives, that God cares to save people at that time this was a, it was a completely new and a unique jewish idea one which yes we adopted as christians later on but no other ancient cultures held these views at that time the old as it were i don't know let's call them pagan faiths believed in many gods gods who sometimes fought against each other with their own agenda almost all the religions of the time believed my going. Believed either there wasn't a God or the gods didn't care. We're not loving, merciful, or gracious. And it was our job. Hey, what it's like to have a servant. Thank you, John. Um, yeah, they, they believed either there wasn't a God or the gods didn't care. We're not loving. They weren't merciful or gracious. And it was our job to appease the gods. Otherwise, we'd face their judgment. And, you know, that's why ancient cultures and some even today believe that when bad things happen, it was God punishing them. And it was their goal to appease the gods, to save themselves, and that there certainly wasn't a god who would save. And then there were also other forms of religion, such as pantheism, where the lines are blurred between God or the gods and the natural world, uh, and they're everywhere in everything. And this is why in the first teaching of our Ancient word series, we taught the Creator God, YHVH, from the Hebrew letters, yod heh vav the one we sometimes call Jehovah, but more usually Lord, in capital letters, to show who we mean. The unique concept of a God who always was, who is unchanging, and, and who always will The same one God who appeared to Moses from the burning bush, it was there that he described who he was, the one who happens to care about us and tell us that he's a God who saves. And God makes this same point over and over and over again as he builds this same biblical theme we've talked about. And so from there, he began to use the Old Testament prophets to tell the people that there would come a future salvation which would take place. An idea that God does save, but that he also will save in an ultimate way. And so the prophets, there was Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, they started talking about it all the time. If we can get the next scripture, that's Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 2. And Isaiah says, surely God is my salvation, Yeshua. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And the next verse, it's not up there, but verse three. Most of you know this. It says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, the wells of Yeshua. Do you remember the woman at the well? When Jesus said, if you drink the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. Do you think he could have been talking about this passage in Isaiah? I think he was. Another scripture, one of the lesser known, Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. And he says, in wrath, you strode through the earth and in anger, you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver, you sure, your people to save Yeshua, your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. A future saving, perhaps one that has happened and is also again one that is yet to come. And here Yeshua turns up again, a God that saves and a God that will save. And the remarkable thing is that God not only gives us these themes in the Bible so that we start to understand it and our lives better, our own lives better. But he also gives us stories to illustrate the themes. And sometimes these can be a foreshadow of what will happen in the future to set a kind of a a precedent and illustrate that he both saves now and will in the future. Let's look at the particular story of Joshua. Joshua's name is an English translation of the Hebrew Yehoshua and Yehoshua is another person another version I should say of another person Yeshua and like Jesus Joshua's name also means God saves so in Joshua's story God appoints him to be leader after Moses dies uh, tasks him to take the children of Israel into the promised land in other words from where they're at to somewhere better. Trouble is, there are giants between where they are and where they need to be. We all know about that, don't we? And Joshua's job is to lead the conquest of these giants as they go into this land. So we have the first, Yahoshua, Joshua, leading a first trip into a promised land. A foreshadow of a second Yeshua, Jesus, who would lead a second group of people into a promised land, or if you like, a land of promises. A foreshadow story of someone God saving to bring about salvation and lead us into something better. But the story builds. It's not just God does save and he will save, but God becomes salvation himself. So we now turn to the New Testament Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name of Jesus, Yeshua, because he will save his people from their sins. (coughs) Joseph is ready to divorce his fiancée. That's how it worked in those days, even when you were simply engaged. She's pregnant. He thinks she's cheated on him you know as far as i'm concerned it's a pretty good reason to think that um and he's thinking yeah yeah right you're innocent well it's going to take an act of god to convince me otherwise and hey guess what that's what happened god sends an angel to him in a dream and the lord says it's true The child that's in her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And look what the angel tells him. You're to give him the name, in our English Bibles, Jesus, but the name he would have spoken is Yeshua because he will save his people from their sins. God's salvation becomes a person the Apostle Paul, who spoke Hebrew, is writing in Hebrew to a disciple called, called Titus. Next scripture it's, it's, it's Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. And Paul says, for the grace of God that brings salvation, Yeshua, has appeared to all men. He's appeared to all people. Not now just for Jews or converts to Judaism, but to everyone in the whole world wide world. God sending a saviour for all people. He he holds the key to the door which we could never get through. And the story matures and the apostle John builds on it and sums up the entire theme or if you like the entire point of the entire scriptures because he repeats what Jesus said uh, in answer to a question from Thomas, one of the twelve disciples. And it's John 14 and verse six, if we get that one up next. Um, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And why is that? Peter, as he was led to explain himself before the Sanhedrin, the uh, political and religious leaders of the time, the Bible tells us that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, And so he thus confirms what Jesus had already answered Thomas earlier. And this is in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Um, Salvation, Yeshua, is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And you know, it's because... Of these two statements by Jesus, and one by Jesus and then by Peter, that we Christians were often criticised, aren't we, by, for being exclusive in our claims? Oh, they're all ways to God. What about all the other religions? You know, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Islam, it doesn't matter. You Christians, oh. yes, we believe that there's only one way to God. But I've got some good news for you. There are many, many ways to Jesus. Hallelujah. He wins people to himself in so many different ways. They hear the good news. They read the good news. They receive dreams. They see a man in white. They have visions. They have hard times. They have suffering. We've all been there. Kids hear from the parents. It happens here. They begin to experience. They're out there now. They're living God and have real faith. Okay, only one way to God, but many, many ways to Jesus. And people might ask, well, how is it we get to the name Jesus then? Okay, so when the Bible was translated into Greek, they tried to come up with a more Greek sounding name than this Hebrew word Yeshua. And I haven't verified it, but I'm told that uh, the Greeks found it difficult to pronounce the Shur in Yeshua because uh, there there's no such sound in their own language. So they used their own Greek word for salvation, which is Jesus, and this word from the time of the, it's not that old, the name Jesus, from the English King James Bible translation, morphed into Jesus, with a J, a J added, to become the most popular name worldwide, I suppose, for the Messiah. I think it, you know it's pretty cool though. When I, I read on Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into town on that on that white donkey, the crowd greeted him with another cry, derivative of his actual salvation name, shouting, "Hosanna! Hosanna! Save now! Save now!" They didn't totally understand yet that life will come through his death. Yet they're at least here making the connection that salvation comes through a person. And from that point, history's greatest saving happened. One week later, with God's greatest sacrifice for us on the cross, it was salvation now for all people. See, there's no, there's no appeasing God. We we don't earn anything from Him. There's only a gracious God, who, the one who talked, we've sung about, it, the one who pursues us and loves us and acts with justice and mercy in our lives. The theme of the bible tells us about that but this isn't the last chapter of the theme yet we even know about you're sure that there's a final chapter of salvation which is going to take place in the future let's get to revelation now the last book in the bible we come closer to the end uh, chapter seven and v- uh verses nine and ten and it's john speaking the apostle john he said after this i looked and there was a great multitude, and no one, no one could count, that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice Salvation, Yeshua belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Mention of Jesus. Then from Another mention of this final salvation, we see that a great war breaks out in heaven. It's where Jesus battles Satan, the epitome of evil, and defeats him. This time we're looking at Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. And John again is saying, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back But he wasn't strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now has come the salvation, the Yeshua, and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. So, this morning we've delved into a few scriptures and this ancient word, Yeshua, simply to illustrate this developing story of God's continuing theme of grace. That he is a God who saves, a God who will save, a God who is salvation, and the God who promises a final salvation that none should be lost. I want to finish now by showing you an illustration of how from the beginning of time, this same idea of salvation has always been God's idea. That he's always wanted to be the God who saves. And for each of us to turn our hearts to his son who has the very name, of the one who saves Yeshua, the God we know as Jesus. I mentioned earlier that in August, with the first message of this series, we looked at the most ancient name for God that we find in the scriptures, YHVH or Jehovah, the one we recognize in capital letters as Lord. The one who said that he always has been and always will be, as he talked to Moses and said, I am God who always will be there for us. And it's within that same name now that I want to show you that there is also an important message about Jesus. Hopefully that you might realize beyond any measure of doubt that the Father and the Son, Yeshua, have always been together as part of the one, this one substance who we know as our God of eternity. Let's get the final screenshot up. There we have it, hieroglyphics. So on screen now you'll see three words, each of them written in the Hebrew language, and each containing the same four letters of the alphabet because they all represent the same name, um, and that name is the same as the one which we would recognize were it trans to be translated into the same four English letters as YHVH, the one we often recognize as Jehovah or Lord, as we said, that same ancient name which God first gave to Moses. Now the bottom row of Hebrew letters spelling this name, you'll see written in the same form of Hebrew, which Jesus, or people in his day, would have recognized. It's it's described um, elsewhere as this bottom one. We're reading now, Hebrew is written and read from right to left. Uh, But it's described as from the Isaiah scroll. Do you remember Jesus read from the Isaiah scroll when he was in the synagogue and said, that's me. Um, and it was writing which was current around about the 2nd century before Christ. Above that we see the same name, this time taken from a more ancient uh, style of the same Hebrew lettering, which was found in an archaeological dig and dates from the time of King David, around the 9th to the 10th century before Christ. And finally, we have the third and oldest known form of this same written name, which Moses would have recognized in his day. And this form is from the 15th to the 18th century before Christ. Uh, Are we all cavemen and women at heart here? (laughs) Because (laughs) at least I think we're able to recognize that this top line, the names written in a kind of picture language, the ancient cave drawings. And apparently it originates from biblical Hittite stroke Canaanite hieroglyphics from which the Hebrew language first came. And as I said, unlike English, Hebrew is always read from right to left. So starting with the first symbol on the right, we see the letter Y. It looks like a Y on its side there. Um, that represents a human arm and has a literal meaning of hand or arm. The next symbol to the left of it, looks like a little stick man, holds the meaning of to behold or to experience. The third symbol represents a nail or a stake or a spike. The final symbol again in Is that that same symbol meaning to behold or to experience. Um, So putting the four symbols together again to form this ancient name of his, which God gave to Moses, we get the arm or hand that experienced the nail experience. Or at the least it means the arm that looked upon or beheld the nail experience. Look. This isn't Indiana Jones' treasure hunt. This It's not Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is authentic. If you don't believe I'm telling you the truth, look it up and have a look. Because here we have from the very beginning a consistent God who desired to be our saviour, mine and yours. And in his name, in his providence, in the way that he works, he said, "Okay, the first time that you write my name down, I want you to use this combination of pictures which points to the one who will experience this nail experience. God has gone out of his way through Jesus to speak to us. He has something to say to each one of us. Are we hearing his voice this morning in his words? Are we letting him be who he is, to be our saviour, the one who wants, not just to forgive our flaws and failures, but can lead us out of all that and help us to experience a new life, to be a God who will care for us when we face evil, that personality, that person. And ultimately, to be a God who will take us through death, Death's just a better and a new life. To take us through death to something better, to a second promised land. That's the promise which is behind this ancient word today of our title and behind God's message from the very beginning. Thanks for listening, John. Would you like to?
0: Very good. Very good. So rich and stuff, guys. Let's just close our eyes, let's just focus in, shall we? So rich, so deep. Father, we thank you that from the beginning you had us in mind to save to the very ends of the earth. That all the nations would come. No salvation. That you care enough to save your people. Though we're entering a season, and every year we, we honor and we celebrate that the word became flesh, and made his dwelling amongst us. There may be arguing many ways up that mountain. But we believe there's only one way up that mountain, and actually, up that mountain. God himself came down and said, let me lead you up the mountain so you don't get lost. I just wonder right now, many ways to encounter Jesus. I wonder if this morning is one of those ways that Jesus just wants to encounter you. Just say, come. Come and take my hand. Come and know my love. Come and know what it is to be accepted. Come what it is to be known, to be chosen. God cares enough to save his people. David said God is not standoffish. He wants you to know him. I was wondering this moment right now as we're sat here. Do you know Jesus? You accepted and beheld nails in his hands maybe you have and maybe it's a part of your history but not part of your present it's not impacting how you live right now give you an opportunity now as every eye is closed how could we not talk about Jesus and give an opportunity to get to know him more so whether you've called yourself a Christian for 40 years or whether this is your first time in church or maybe you've been to church and it's just like, you know, we're visiting this morning or whatever it is. I just wonder if there's an invitation from Jesus right now to say, come. And so as every eye is closed, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now, whether you want for the first time to accept Jesus, that he who knew no sin became sin so you could become right with God. That all the error and mistakes you have ever made that distance you from God, Jesus said this, there's no way you can ever measure up. So let me measure up for you. By accepting what he's done, the error and the wrong and the sin is taken and you're made right with God. So in this moment right now, whether for the first time, whether you know you need to come back to Jesus and you need to say yes to him, I'm going to do something really, really simple. I'm just going to count to three and I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand, just an outward expression of what the Holy Spirit is doing internally within you. Just say one big yes to who Jesus is. That's you this morning. One, God loves you. Two, he wants to you to know him. Three, just put your hand up right now. Amen. Just as these hands are raised right now, Lord, I thank you that they represent hearts that are moving towards you right now. We just pray over these lives. Maybe for the first time, maybe coming back to you, maybe saying, you know what, I know that I've wandered and I'm running back to your arms. Lord, I thank you that your arms are open wide right now and that you take hold and you say come let me lead you take on my yoke take on my burden because it's easy and it's light Holy Spirit of God will you come now and just flood these lives that are represented by these hands that are raised come and fill them with your presence I thank you just pray right now in the quietness of your own heart or out loud just say thank you God that you've made a way you've dealt with my error that I can be forgiven. I just felt God, as uh, as David was speaking, I just felt God prompt something into my heart of, that some in this room feel like God is punishing you. And I think we hold more to a Greek understanding of who God is than a Christian understanding that we have to appease the gods. And when we don't, they get angry with us and cause things to go against us. I want to break that chain over your life right now and say that God is not angry with you. He is not punishing you. You are forgiven. You are his child and he loves you. I just wonder if if you're willing and able, let's just all stand together. Just keeping this attitude of prayer. Let's, Let's keep our eyes closed. Let's just give a moment just to focus. If that's you this morning, and you you sense this anger from God towards your behaviour, towards your thoughts, towards your past, towards who you are, you feel like God is angry. Just while every eye, just for, just please let's let's honour each other, let's respect each other with eyes closed. I just want to invite you right now, for whatever reason that is. Maybe it's just part of your upbringing, and you don't know what it is for a. For anyone in authority over you to show you care and love and acceptance. If that's you this morning, I just want you to put your hands out in front of you. As every eye is closed, this is between you and God. Just put your hands out in front of you. and I want you to put your hands out in front of you as if you're receiving a gift. Spirit of God we ask you right now just speak deep into the hearts of those that have got their hands open we don't want to hear any other voice than the voice of Jesus Stop trying to pay for your past when the past has been paid. Lord, I thank you that these hands that are out represent humility and submission. Not trendy words, but they're words that honour you as Lord and Saviour. Hands that say, I've got it wrong, I've made mistakes, but I'm willing to put it at the foot of the cross where the price has been paid. God, I ask right now this week, Would be a week of knowing death to death means life for me. The price has been paid our sins, past, present, and future. Invite your Holy Spirit to come and fill us with your presence. Good good dads know how to give good gifts. How much more does our heavenly father know how to give good gifts to his children? And he gives us the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God within us. He gives himself continually. Thank you, Father. Just want to encourage if you want to receive some prayer this morning, just come forward we'd love to pray with you just going to keep this attitude but if you want to if you want to actually have someone lay hands on you this morning and pray over you for whatever reason you may be coming forward saying i've no idea what this morning's been about but i just know i need to get some prayer i remember going forward once and it was a an altar call for adultery and i went forward and i was 12. it's like i just know i need some prayer so i encourage you to just come forward just come forward and get some prayer because we want to pray for you. and we want, we want you to know that your father loves you and accepts you and says, I fought for you. So just come forward. Just come forward while we sing. And there's going to be people in the church that will pray for you. Whether you're a, uh, a Christian for 50 years or for five minutes, just come forward. We really want to pray for you while we stand and sing together.